Hi, this is Terry Farrell, and you are listening to Women at Warp. And welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we have Jera. Hello. And we've got special guests. We've got Mara. Hi. And we've got Alyssa. Hello. And before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron... You can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to, you know, high quality, upper echelon, improving experience of watching commentaries that we do ourselves. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, uh, today's topic was suggested by Mara and also by our patron, Serena. It's a great topic. Very much looking forward to it. Definitely one we've been wanting to do for a while. So in start, uh, in the past 50 years of Star Trek as a franchise, we've seen visions of the future beyond prejudice where humanity is past the biases and xenophobia that we as the audience have always known. But even when you start off centuries in the future, a lot can change in 50 years. People grow, communities grow, and hopefully society grows. A culture can gain insight into a misunderstood aspect of human identity and gain terminology for concepts that previous generations might not have even been willing to address. This is how we progress as human beings. So what happens when the progress of the now outstrips the portrayal of the future? This week, we're finally getting to talk about transness and trans representation in Star Trek. Now, we, uh, we briefly touched on this before we started, but are there any hard and fast definitions that we really want to get in the way before, out of the way before we have this conversation? You know, I think there isn't really a super easy hard and fast definition because things have changed over time. But I think, lar- broadly speaking, we are going to take a fairly broad definition. So we're not restricting the discussion of trans representation to, um, you know, like an older understanding of um, uh, like medical, a medical process, um, but, you know, more about uh, characters um, in Star Trek who um, either change gender over the course of their life or their character traits or who are embody gender in a way that's different from the way that they present or different from the actor's gender, things like that. Does that sound sort of accurate? Mm -hmm. It sounds like our starting off point. All right. um, So maybe before we get into the topic, um, it would be awesome to hear a little bit more from Mara and Alyssa uh, just to tell us a bit more about yourself and how you got into Star Trek. So maybe can we start with Mara? Yeah. Hi, I'm Mara. Um, My first words were literally space, the final frontier. I've I've been watching Star Trek since three days out of the hospital. So it's been my entire life. It's the core of my nerdiness. Um, And I maintain that by doing theory and build work for Star Trek Online on Reddit. Cool. And Alyssa? Um, I think like I started watching Star Trek because uh, TNG reruns were playing when I was young. So I'd always like sneak out, even if it was past my bedtime, to to watch it uh, like late on Sunday night. Um, 
and I actually work as a game developer. Uh, and so I think Star Trek and a somewhat sort of what at the time seemed like a very utopian view of the future was something that I really liked. And it's, it's definitely affected a lot of my, uh, my interests in sci-fi and media. It's, it's been informed by kind of, I don't know, like as I grew up, it took me a while to sort of realize that uh, a lot of the things that, that Star Trek showed were not just kind of utopian, but uh, sort of at odds with a lot of what was going on in the world. Like, it just felt normal to me. And you, I believe, are our first guest in more than 100 episodes from outside North America, and certainly the one who is actually recording this where it is a different date where you are. Um, I'm so a time traveler. Thanks. You're a time yeah, traveler. Thanks so much for making the time. That's all right. Don't let the temporal police know. Yeah, it's currently Sunday morning here in Sydney, Australia. Saturday night here. All right. We have a fairly long list of characters and episodes, but I think it's fair to say that there are a few that are very important for it, us to focus on. And one that I we can talk about it, but we have done a whole episode on the episode Cogenitor from Enterprise. Um, so we may not spend quite as much time on today. But um, if you are listening and you're interested in that episode, um, you can take a look back to our uh, episode that, on that. So um, what we can do is we can sort of round robin it if that works and kind of go around and pick pick a character or an episode you really want to highlight. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, can I start with Alyssa then? Um, so like, there was the big list that, that we had, and I went through and I watched certainly all of the TNG ones, although there was one or two that I'd actually watched quite recently. Um, and I didn't watch much of the DS9 because that was fairly fresh in my mind. Um, and I could not bring myself to watch Prophet and Lace. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of, that's got to be one of the worst Star Trek episodes ever made, if for a myriad reasons. But um I, I thought it was really quite interesting because some of the TNG episodes, I actually, like, I transitioned about, I began transitioning about four years ago. And so a lot of, a lot of the TNG episodes, I didn't really think too much about any of the sort of gender or trans uh, related content in them until I was watching them again. And I actually found quite a few of them were, even though they're, you know, 30 years old and contain some dubious stuff sometimes, um, they were actually really emotional. I found there were a few episodes that kind of, hit me really hard um and one of them was the outcast mm-hmm. uh tng episode and yeah i don't know is is that a good one to start on or oh absolutely for sure uh can you refresh the audience's memory on uh what the basic outline of that episode is so uh the outcast sees the enterprise being tasked with helping uh, a group of somewhat kind of xenophobic outsider reverse uh aliens that do not have a concept of gender on their planet so everybody is is well agender um however it turns out that there is you know, there are people who are occasionally born on their planet who do have an internal concept of gender which apparently they used to have at some point in the past and it sort of got they moved beyond it and it's kind of ambiguous it feels a bit like what they're kind of saying was it was an intentional move like their whole planet sort of banned gender effectively um and yeah, so it deals with, uh, of course, Riker ends up in a romantic relationship with someone who has decided uh, that uh, she identifies as female. Uh, and it, it, of course, involves him trying to save her. And then there is the really uncomfortable, but uncom- also uncomfortably believable uh, thing of her being found out and being taken to a what's effectively kind of a a rehabilitation camp to try and 
you know, fix her problems and, uh, you know, change her concept of gender. And that's kind of the gist of it, but it has a really downbeat ending as well. Absolutely. Definitely not an uplifting episode. No. I I was really quite surprised how well it uh, dealt with some parts of it. And there were other parts that were amazingly clueless. Like there's a bit where uh, when having it explained to him that um, that they're all agender. Rika doesn't understand what kind of pronouns to use and says, "Well, what do, what do I call you? It." And it's just Ugh. like, "Oh, come on!" Like they, they has been in use like more like for an incredibly long time. We use it casually in conversation. Like, "Oh, we found someone's cell phone. We better get it back to them before they miss it." Like it's just, it feels like a really weird oversight and an odd thing that even something 30 years old would sort of get wrong. Definitely something we also talked about in the cogenitor yeah. episode. Yeah, it seems like, you know, Star Trek waits until it is in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. So hopefully that wouldn't happen today. But um, yeah. Um, how did the episode make you feel? Like, did did you feel um, like it did a good job representing trans issues or perspectives or like at least some of the feelings that come with um uh, feeling like not being recognized for being who you are a little i think like uh i mean the bit where she actually comes out to Riker, i quite liked because i when i suddenly realized that's what was about to happen in the episode like i knew that's where it was going because i had seen it but many many years ago um and that part kind of hit me a bit because i found myself um something like oh wow this is a coming out scene i don't think i've ever really seen that on a like uh on almost any TV show. And that kind of, yeah, that sort of made me tear up a bit. But then of course the very ending and all of that just had me like knowing that that was probably where the episode was going to end. Cause I couldn't quite remember. I definitely sort of found myself sinking a bit going like this, this actually feels like it's probably a pretty good representation of what a lot of this stuff would have been like if you came out as trans. Well, when the episode was written and aired. Mm-hmm. Mara, do you have thoughts on the outcast? Yeah, um, it's really funny watching the dissonance between the coming out scene being very much about gender identity and um, Soren, the the um, the woman character, uh, having her big moral speech in front of the council that's condemning her, turning it entirely into being about essentially it's it, yeah a metaphor for gay relationships in the '90s, and it's I think that's where we we come into that point where. You know, the reason why they were so clumsy with Riker not knowing pronouns was because I don't think the writer's intent there was to represent transness in that scene. So no, it's I kind of all so. over the place. Um, I It's super powerful. Like, I, the same, the sim, similarly to Alyssa, I, I, I adore the coming out scene. And w- even at the end of the, the scene um, where she was being condemned, like, I, I rewatched it with my roommate last week. I cried. Like, this stuff is super on point. It's like, this is what it's like. Yeah, when we did our episode on The Outcast, um, we, I, we called it a very special gay episode because I think um, it's how it felt. That that, that that was the intention as well. Although, you know, certainly there's been discussion since about did it undermine this by having um, a cis woman actor play someone who ends up being a, a woman mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and the like in a race of people that are all played by cis women actors 
And also, and then entering into what reads to us as a heterosexual relationship. There's a lot to dig into there. Oh, yeah. So much to unpack. Definitely. Like, like let's let's talk about how the bad guys are non are, are the the agender non binary. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That certainly occurred to me. There's this whole thing of like, it, I mean, you can definitely read that episode if you wanted to as kind of like, you know, the they've erased gender and now it's illegal to have a gender and that's kind of the that sort of moral message and that was a bad thing and, and it's oppressive mm-hmm. so you could certainly read it that way kind of reminds me of how every couple of decades we get a straight white guy sci-fi writer writing a story about how what if it was illegal to be straight <laughs> wrap your head around that yeah <laughs> yeah i think this is definitely a case of star trek doing what star trek does which is let's examine a social issue in the context of things that aren't real mm-hmm. <laughs> and they kind of cough angel one <laughs> cough. Uh, and and they didn't really <laughs> consider that non-binary trans people are a thing <laughs> this is a thing mm-hmm. It's like yes, it's fanciful. A society without gender. How how futuristic. How sci-fi. How alien. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mentioned on Twitter that I was rewatching a bunch of episodes, um, like as a run-up to like doing like to talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, and someone's comment was basically that because uh, I mentioned one of the episodes, I don't remember which one, and and the reply from this person was just kind of like, well, it sounds a lot like Star Trek, comes, like, brushes up really close to almost actually being progressive and then doesn't quite manage it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like, I mean, a lot of the, the most sort of intense feelings I had watching some of these episodes, and the same is true in a lot of sci-fi, is actually not for me when they explicitly talk about something that is really clearly about being transgender. And is instead some about something that just happens to have a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think in some ways that those episodes end up being better. Because at least with this, it's a bit difficult because there were certainly things that were right. And there are other bits where you kind of like, you know, putting your whole fist in your mouth in horror going, oh gosh, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I think I definitely preferred some of the episodes that were a little less on the nose. Yeah. Going back on the, the things that hit home because they're overlapping the in the coming out scene at the end of the scene when soren describes her childhood experience of witnessing someone like her have something awful happen to them uh, like that that struck me so hard when when i was maybe 13 or 14 um i didn't know i was trans yet i mean i knew but i I was raised in a very evangelical environment. I didn't even know that trans was a thing. Um, but there was a, a trans person joined our church, and eventually she was thrown out. And my parents were part of that, and they were very proud of having done it. And I remember it just hitting me on such a deep, instinctual level of how wrong it was. And I was terrified for some reason, and I didn't understand why. Mm-hmm. And that scene with Soren, it, it, that's that's what made me cry. That that when she's talking about the kid who she went to school with who got bullied, and then the officials took them away. Like that's the real stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think um, because for me, uh, most of what I saw when I was growing up was it was almost all homophobia and racism. But like that that was kind of the thing that was really obvious. There's just especially in like suburban Australia. Um, that that was just everywhere. I don't think I was even vaguely aware of the concept of someone being trans, except for in media. And in media, it was always 
really poorly done. Like they were like trans people were villains or whatever. Like Ace Ventura is always going to stick in my mind as that was a massively like that stuck in my head as this is a freakish and terrible mm. thing and you should bury feelings down. But mm-hmm. um, I think like there's a discomfort. I think that I, I certainly felt because of media representations that were so bad where if I did see someone who was kind of gender nonconforming in any way, my mind kind of rebelled against it and I found myself uncomfortable around them. But yeah, for entirely different reasons to what some people might be sort of, it would would kind of force me to confront something a bit. And that, uh, some of the stuff in that episode kind of, it's interesting because it's all, it was all very, this is something that we saw in person, which to me wasn't that relatable, except for in the idea that for me, it was always about media media was the one telling me that this stuff is wrong or this stuff is right. Absolutely. Mara, did you have an episode or an example that you wanted to throw in at this point? Um, I very much want to talk about Profit and Lace. Yeah, I think we should probably get that out of the way yeah. so that we oh, address gosh. the elephant in the room. So I, I, I want to preface this by saying that I have a somewhat controversial opinion of this episode. Oh? I don't hate it oh okay well tell us about that (laughs) all right so like top level this episode is horrifically sexist it's it's abusive and awful like it it is but the scene the first scene we have with quark as a woman and let's get this out of the way quark in this episode is not trans Quark is, w- no. Quark is wearing the costume of a woman to get a goal, and that's awful. It plays into the stereotypes of the trap of the trans person being deceptive. That's awful, and it's horrific, and it upsets me even to still watch the episode. But that one scene where he's adapting to womanhood and re- is sort of like the first five months of transition in 30 seconds. Like, everything that happens in that, in that sequence is so on point. And, like... There's a, there's a there's a line. I actually have the script here because I wanted to read off a line. It's not important. It's where they put yeah. There goes hormones. Um and Rom <laughs> yeah and and Rom immediately chirps and there goes her hormones. So good good, good job Rom. <laughs> oh wow. But um, oh, Rom's an ally. I I want to talk about Rom in the scene too, but we'll get to that in a second because I have a really interesting headcanon about him. Um, but Quark is immediately emotionally unstable, and you go on when when you're starting out on hormones. In, in, in HRT, it's a wild ride. You don't know how to feel about anything anymore, and, and it's it's wicked. Like when you f- you start getting your homo- hormonal cycle, and the way you react to things starts to change so violently. Um, it it was so easy to relate with Quark going through thirty different emotional states in the state of two minutes, and like it's a top level. It's like yeah, women be hormonal, but like. No, that's a, that's a fresh experience for a trans woman uh, transitioning. That's that's super relatable. That's super interesting. Yeah, really. I mean, like I said, I had I couldn't bring myself to rewatch it, but I do remember that that bit now. But that certainly does feel like something that, yeah, is a pretty accurate description of like, I don't know. I think I called it Hell Month. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then immediately start talking about how Quark is walking. And so it gets into the performative aspect of, of transitioning, where you're not doing things like a woman. You're doing this wrong. And you, you look like a man when you walk, so you need to walk this way. And mm. and it's like, oh my god, please stop. <laughs> <It's> like, 
and it's again it's so on point of just like what the expectations are not even for internally because internally your dysphoria is all over the place if you experience it but then just the external pressures of people looking at you and expecting things out of you like looking for your progress even among friends even among close allies like there's still that expectation and it's stressful yeah i mean the performative aspect is kind of interesting because i found for me it was more not performing because i'd really like in my case i was really self-conscious and i always felt like an imposter before i transitioned i couldn't escape that feeling like as in i would get panic attacks going into men's bathrooms because i could not escape the feeling that i was in the wrong place and i was going to get found out Mm -hmm. and that's something i don't feel anymore which is weird like i had no idea that you weren't supposed to feel terribly stressed going into a public toilet (laughs) but um uh the yeah for me i found that like i was performing before more than anything else so things like i would actually artificially deepen my voice rather than anything else like i would try to talk Mm. an octave lower um and one of my friends at one point had said and this was a really awkward conversation and it wasn't spectacular but he sort of said you know i was really uncomfortable around you at first but then when your voice started to change i'm like my what and I, like he'd he'd just presumed that my voice was changing because of hormones, whereas in fact it was more just I think like I was just no longer trying to sound masculine, I guess. Turning off the mm-hmm. affect, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was more like not performing, and that sudden, which suddenly he, he was reading as as like performing femininity. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Thanks uh, for that. Yeah. Um. I, I was the opposite. I built I built like an ultra masks shell around myself, so it just sort of became a default state. Like I could not be a woman. Like I could not like I abandoned long sleeve sweatshirts because I would chew on them, which read to me in middle school as a you know a feminine act. So I just stopped wearing long sleeve shirts. <laughs> like it it's it's all the weird stuff. Um, immediately after that moment, and this is where I, I love Rom in this scene. Rom demonstrates how to walk correctly and everyone sort of looks at him funny and he starts to freak out for a second as if he's been found out and I'm reading this whole scene is Rom's genderqueer oh I love that headcanon yeah I like that idea it's I mean Rom's a fantastic character generally but like that would also explain some of his yeah that makes Rom and Lita an even cuter couple oh my god (laughs) like yeah it does I don't want to like read too hard into it, but I like I read him as like gender queer autogender. Like, does does that seem off? No, I like it. Actually, it does sound kind of right, and it's also one of those things where if he's in a culture that is that gender binary and mm-hmm. that well, you know, unique uh, in that <laughs> regard. <laughs> Uh, then you know, it also is his intense anxiety also makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with him just naturally being an anxious person or having anxiety as a, as a distinct uh, mental health issue or anything, but like, yeah, yeah, it actually kind of makes a lot of sense, especially it can affect, you know, it can manifest and appear like social anxiety if you're, mm-hmm. if you're dealing with some form of dysphoria or, or even just feeling out of place. Yeah. And like his, his whole backstory of being a poor businessman and and trying to do businessman things and getting screwed doing it because he's bad at it but having other forms of you know capabilities when when ferengi culture is so focused around your business acumen to the point where it it, it takes the you know you don't have the balls you don't have the lobes for business it's all about the, the masculinity and he shies so far away from that 
and down right down to just in this very scene and and you can pick you can pick out across DS9 where he's got more feminine um affectations to him more, well not feminine but feminine you know stereotypical where he's more sensitive and he's more um caring he he has a much mm-hmm. lighter touch yeah he's a single parent also yeah very much and supportive and... of whatever mom wants to do and all that mhm mhm um but yeah, no. In that scene, like there, the his reaction to being found out, it it very much struck me as someone who didn't realize that that was weird, and now everyone's judging them and they're like, "Oh my god, I'm different." Well, mm-hmm. the funny thing is, as well, thinking about it, like uh, Rom, sort of like it, the other way you could read it potentially is just that Rom is an incredibly uh, emotionally attuned person who notices things like that. Like he's not just. Uh, like that he notices the way people walk and mannerisms and affectations. And that's just something that to him was natural. And then in contrast, you've got, uh, you've got Quark who has no idea and just had never really looked at it. It probably never looked at holistically at, at women just as well. Yeah. eye candy and Dabo girls. Yeah. And the, and Lita's line sells this whole concept for me right after that, when, when they're talking about, how weird it was that that uh that rom did that um she says something along the lines of um where of here it is you're so adorable and complicated (laughs) (laughs) i i've got to admit i kind of wonder with some of these episodes because you watch these moments where you feel these little bits that even in a bad episode that just gets so many things wrong you get this little bit that's kind of right, and you kind of wonder: was someone on the writing team like trying to slip this stuff in, or was fighting for more of it? And this is like the best that they managed. Cause you gotta it, wonder. Yeah. Or was it just like you're gonna be right like one time out of thirty? Yeah, just it could be by chance. <laughs> yeah, and I think it might be the 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 broken clock issue because <laughs> mm-hmm. immediately after. Um, Quark starts going into there's too many numbers I I can't remember all these facts and figures and tries to start seducing Zek and to get to get out of having to do the mental labor but I find this fascinating because again it gets back into performative stuff Quark is sliding into Quark's perception of what femininity is and mm-hmm. in like I can tell from my personal experience and from talking to a lot of different trans women um over the last few years your 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 early attempts at being a woman are very much colored by you know your social experience and the biases and stereotypes and and bigotry that you're surrounded in and so you're trying to figure out how to be a woman and you're sorting through the things that are wrong that are just beaten into your head and and, mm. and so that like that moment where cork starts being a sexist caricature of a woman automatically rings super you know clear in my head because i'm like early on i was always super worried like is this affectation that i'm in, in internalizing because of a sexist sexist idea that's in my head or is it just who i am or who i want to be and it's that big confusing ball <laughs> but i don't think it's something that's necessarily exclusive to trans people either because the no. perception of like what womanhood is in media especially in the past has often been really superficial and toxic and if you're like, obviously this is outside my experience, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is the kind of thing that sometimes feeds into like how young um, cis girls begin to sort of see themselves or when they do, they sort of do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that you're kind of taught 
by older generations also, but that's a whole conversation for another time. But yes, that's that's very real. Yeah. I- internalized misogyny is very real. Yeah. <laughs> very much. Um, and- actually, as a slight, just because it uh, relates exactly to what you're saying, there's, I feel like I'm kind of an odd edge case in, in that regard. So I was like, I had a bunch of really stupid ideas when I started transitioning. And one of them was that like, I really hated the idea of like, because I'd, I'd sort of... I didn't want to feel like I was performing femininity in any way, even if it was in an attempt to kind of be more socially safe by passing better. And so I was desperate to like try and keep a lot of my affectations. Like I refused to try skirts or dresses. I didn't try makeup. Uh, even though I always had my hair long, like I, I kind of, I think I kind of got stuck in this weird, no, I'm I'm going to be like, I'm interested in very nerdy stuff. So I must be a tomboy. So I kind of fell into this weird idea of like that my interests had to fit my physical presentation in some way. So rather than kind of overperform femininity or, or have this weird internalized kind of idea of it that was very wrong, I, I found myself kind of like almost underperforming it. Yeah. And just like, really, I think I kind of went through, because I certainly knew like girls like this growing up who were like desperate to not seem, seem too girly because they sort of considered that weak. And I think I was doing that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been there. Yeah. The last thing I want to say about this scene is I, I really, really love Zach in this scene because he, 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 um, ends this scene with this little little dialogue with Quark about, I find you attractive. Weird, isn't it? And he's just super positive and affirming about the whole thing. He's like, he's not negative. He's like, eh, this is, man, eh, you're hot. Quark, you look great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, and, like, the, last, the last line of the scene is, has anyone ever told you that you have lovely eyes? <laughs> That's a good like, Zach. That yeah. was a really good impression. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, no, that whole scene, like, I kind of really love because, I mean, again, it's awful. It's toxic. This, from, a, from, a, from a top meta standpoint, this whole thing's a train wreck. But that scene through the eyes of, you know, a trans application of queer theory is really amazing. <laughs> I'm really glad that we got to t- got to find something positive in that episode. Then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. No, the... um. And then the rest of the episode is mostly awful. Uh, the only, <laughs> the only, the only other thing is that one brilliant line from Brunt, where where, where once Cork opens opens um, the vest and and shows off the the goods. <laughs> I swear that is not a female. Like that is like yes that that I I, I read that every day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I feel like um, we should finish off with Dax. So maybe let's throw in a couple more examples before we cover Dax. Um, Alyssa, did you have another one you wanted to pull out? Well, I think that there are two episodes that that I think are actually, it's odd, they're kind of, it's a bit of a stretch to talk about um, them in, in a trans or gender context. But they they hit home for me in a fairly uncomfortable way, and I think they're kind of both worth talking about almost in the same mm-hmm. breath, uh, which is uh, Genesis and uh, Identity Crisis. Yes! <laughs> and the reason why those two were so interesting, I don't know why they were put on the list specifically, I can guess, because obviously I'm, I, I want to talk about them, but uh, both episodes in different ways deal with like forced physical change. 
Um, and that's Can you just maybe remind the audience which ones those are? They're yeah, both sure. TNG episodes. So Genesis is often on a list of like worst TNG episodes. If you're looking at like bad <laughs> Star Trek episodes, it's often up there. And I don't know why, because it's it's bad, but it's also kind of good bad. Um, is it Genesis... so bad it's good or so bad it's uh, so good it's bad? I, well, I mean, it's not good, but <laughs> I, um, I mean, the premise of Genesis is that Data and Picard leave the ship because Worf made a mistake. And it's kind of funny watching Worf deal with his own hubris in that scene. And they go away for a couple of days. They come back and there's this, as a total aside, really brilliant scene where the Enterprise is actually listing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have to match orientation with the shuttle to dock, which you've never, I've never actually seen before in Star Trek, really. But, um, they they get there and discover the whole ship is a mess and something's happened and it's actually a mistake that Crusher made as well sort of uh, that resulted in everybody's like DNA reverting back to like a previous form in some way that they have some like locked away genetic something or other so you've got Troy's become more of an amphibious creature and like she needs to be in water to survive Worf has of course become like an eight foot tall armored like. I don't know, Bebop or Rocksteady type sort of character. <laughs> um, and uh, in a really terrifying bit of body horror, Barclay has become a spider that's like infected, kind of this this Jeff Goldblum the fly kind of like creature that's infected the, the engine room. And we get to see Picard emotionally start reverting back into some kind of, was it a lemur? I'm yes. trying to remember. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of comical watching that performance, but... Uh, yeah, and of course they—they they basically, it's kind of a creep through the Enterprise, and there are weird monsters that they don't want to kill because they're actually sort of, you know, crew members to try and find a a cure, and like, yeah, that it's that's about the entire episode. Um, and Identity Crisis is about one of Geordie's, like a bunch of Geordie's old crew members who all went on the same away mission start have started vanishing, and they begin to realize that they're actually physically changing and sort of having this urge to go back to this planet. Uh, and they're physically changing. They're getting like, I think it was like weird webbed kind of fingers and becoming, gaining the ability to sort of become invisible. They have like weird glowing veins all over them and then sort of become another species. And yeah, it's kind of a like scary mystery sort of thing uh, dealing with body horror. And I think, yeah, the the body horror aspect of both of those is something that I think is particularly kind of relatable because, uh, for me at least, going into puberty is like, it was every change felt horrific. And there was this sense of like, I went from not thinking about my body too much to really being disgusted by it and like feeling it kind of happening was really quite unpleasant, to put it mildly. And so that was part of what that related to is that in those cases, even though it only deals with it a tiny bit, but things like where you get to see the slow changes in identity crisis, uh, that kind of hit me pretty hard because like I, I've kind of developed this really intense fear of body change and body horror. I have trouble watching it on screen. So even those episodes I actually found quite uncomfortable, uh, which is not a fun fear to have when you're transitioning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the reason why those two I thought were kind of interesting. So, Mar, did you have thoughts on those episodes as well? I think you actually put them on the outline or suggested them for the outline. Uh, yeah, uh, Alyssa kind of just hit it, hit it, hit the nail on the head. Um, any any sort of transformative um, theme in sci-fi always hit me super hard on this, you know, 
primal gut level uh you know you're watching it and you're like this is wrong it's all wrong why am i feeling like this <laughs> so it 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 it's that weird sort of finding representation of your experiences without realizing it like w- like when i was very young you know watching tng when i was like eight mm-hmm. Whoa. did you have another episode you wanted to throw into the mix I suppose we could very briefly and awfully go over Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> we we absolutely should. Yeah. You know, um I I I sort of like I almost hesitated putting it on the list because I feel like almost um it, because it is like it's the earliest one on our list. Um and um that said it's like more that it's about um, I guess like reinforcing fear at um, fear and um, like essentialist views of gender that um, you are like you're swapped into this body and then instantly bit, like manifest all the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Also that woman um, is a personality. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like there were huge, huge, I wouldn't even call them undertones, unintentional overtones of, <laughs> of trans masculinity. Like, mm-hmm. Just uh, for those who don't know, the episode is about um, a former lover of Kirk, because of course it is, who um, <laughs> who is jealous of his captaincy and his power and wants to be a powerful man. So uses an alien device to switch bodies and tries to kill Kirk in, in her former body to end it and become a powerful commanding man that you know if we if we're taking it in a trans context he wanted to always be um and so uh, as you can imagine in the 60s it's um not great um there there is a lot of just blatantly sexist stereotypes through not there's not a single good line in the whole thing that's like redeemable but there are moments where the where janice lester expresses some very real gender dysphoria and of course not intentional but um the janice's i I don't remember any of the specific lines but there are moments where that um she's talking about you know why she wants to be kirk and it's not about being kirk it's about being a man and it's about being it it, part of it was was about uh, uh doing things that as a woman she was not allowed to do like command a starship because apparently you couldn't back then in Starfleet, I guess. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot. There are a lot of things about this episode that just don't make a lot of sense. No, but it's, it's, it's like a really interesting early glimmer of accidental trans mask representation. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm kind of curious about the representation, however accidental of, of gender dysphoria there with that. Cause like, it's something like dysphoria or or adjusting to major body change is something that almost always seems to to me feel wrong when done in sci-fi, like even modern sci-fi. Mm. And it's weird because t- there are so many people around the world who have had to deal with sudden major body change, either intentional or not, that it feels like it's not too hard to, to find people who can, you know, give you a, an idea of what that can be like. Yeah, if you actually try and ask someone who's gone through it. Yeah, like I thought of thoughts. 
Yeah, there was um, there was a show I watched recently, which I'm obviously due to the subject of the podcast not going to go into too much. But like, I stopped watching it because it dealt with like I guess body shift stuff, and I felt like it was not even slightly relatable to me because I'm like, that's not how it feels, and that's like I, I don't, I don't. This doesn't feel like it's in any way believable to me. So I just kind of stopped, and I think that's generally been the case with almost everything I've seen. Um, probably the only one like. The fact that it seems to be fine right away for Trill is a different subject, but it makes sense given the context of how, like, what happens with them specifically. Awesome. Well, before we get into the Trill, I just have a couple of, like, the really quick examples Mm -hmm. that I think are worth just throwing out there. And if people have comments, uh, we can do that. One of them is, I think... Maybe you might think it like an you know uh, an audience member at the time may have been like oh that was nice uh, was Data's toast to ladies gentlemen and invited yeah. transgender species in Star Trek Nemesis yeah um but no yeah I watched um, that recently with a friend because we were we were having an argument as to whether Star Trek Five or Star Trek Nemesis was worse and so we watched both of them um, and. That took some wine, but uh, the but that particular line was something neither of us were expecting. The friend I was watching with is is quite uh, gender fluid, and we both just kind of turned to each other. We're like, I forgot that line entirely, and it's an odd one because um, not only like it it felt kind of like wow that was really cool to have included that, but then my brain also, as it sometimes does, goes to like okay, I'm aware that there are conservative people who watch Star Trek for some reason, um, and. <laughs> Like, yeah, and then I keep thinking, okay, so that line, if you were trying to read it in a different way, you could say, invited transgender species, so is the implication that only certain species can be transgender, and that's sort of... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's reading way too much into it, but that's certainly, that was something that got discussed. Yeah, and because Data is reading it deadpan, you can obviously cast it as a joke if you want to. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, first of all, it implies that there's not transgender people in like humans yeah other exactly alien species in the star trek universe um and also just is not really accurate like it it's i don't even know what it i think it's maybe meaning more like it's meaning to say like androgynous or um agender species would be probably more accurate yeah yeah, which is why it feels kind of like, uh, it, again, it's really hard to tell, okay, did the writer sort of intend it one way? Was it literally just a throwaway line that, that I'm sure he thought was funny? Um, or was it in fact something that like, that was what was intended? It was like, oh, species who don't have, like, who who, who don't exist on a gender binary. Oh, they're transgender species. Well, no, but sure. <laughs> it it definitely smells to me like well-meaning cis. Yeah. <laughs> there are also a couple of mentions of uh, men who are pregnant in star trek we did an episode on uh pregnancy and we talked in a fair depth about trip tucker and unexpected which is very much treated like a joke yeah i put that on the list and to tie it kind of back to talking about you know bodily change and how it's treated in media um I thought this episode is really interesting in hindsight, uh, considering it came out in the early 2000s, and I want to say it was just a few years later that um, I want to say his name was, like, Thomas Beattie or some, or a name similar to that, uh, was one of the first uh, openly trans men to make 
his pregnancy public and um, having gone through transition from being assigned female at birth to identifying as male and saying, yes, I would like to carry a child and deciding to go through the process and choosing to, you know, go on Oprah and all that and talk about it publicly to try to demystify the whole thing, um, both, you know, to family and friends and to the community at large to be like, hey, we're out here and I, as a trans man, I'm choosing to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And you're right about the name. It is Thomas Beatty. Yes. I remembered my Oprah. Um, anywho, I thought that was really interesting uh, to kind of tie this depiction to in terms of there there are, in fact, now multiple cases of trans men who have transitioned and identify as male, um, but who do say, you know what, I've, I've got the factory. I might as well bake the bread if I can use a really old-timey analogy there. And um, I know that a lot of them have to deal with a lot of judgment within their communities, um, both for talking about, you know, their identity as trans and the fact that uh, parenthood is still, even for either parent, is still considered pretty gendered in terms of if if you're a single man, you're considered kind of Mr. Mom situation. And this is someone who is a man saying but I'm willing to do this considered feminine part of it as part of the process to make it happen. I was just going to say that like, uh, I mean that, that part of the whole gendered parenting thing in that regard is something that came up recently. Cause I was talking to a friend of mine who has a, a small kid and wants another one. And there was a discussion about a whole bunch of different things, including like, um, like with her being queer uh, the discussion of if she, if she had another kid with uh, like with a female partner, and uh, the subject came up of like she, it hadn't really occurred to her before, but the idea of wait a minute, so potentially like both of us could breastfeed, that would make life so much easier. <laughs> um, and like that that prompted a discussion of like oh yeah, trans women can breastfeed too. It's like it's uh, it's totally doable, and that was an interesting conversation because it suddenly it popped up the whole thing of like that there are certainly still aspects of, of uh, parenthood when it comes to like having your own kids that uh, are still very, very uh, gendered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely am thinking about uh, the graphic novel, pregnant butch and not necessarily the same thing, but being very masculine presenting and saying, but I want to have a baby is definitely treated as an oddity. Um, even in the cis community, to say nothing of, you know, trans people and the fact that they're actively going into something that could potentially be very emotionally difficult and very dysphoric for them. Yeah. And the fact that that is a decision that is only theirs to make should be respected. Yeah, I saw that a bit. I mean, most of my friends these days tend to be queer. And a couple of my friends who are cis lesbians were talking about having a kid at one point, And there was a discussion about which one of them should have the kid. One of them was more interested in in being pregnant and giving birth. And the other one was kind of not. But there were a bunch of medical reasons why that probably wasn't going to happen that way. Um, and um, there was a not particularly with it kind of cis girl who was a bit drunk in there and overhearing part of this conversation. And she was really confused oh that, that the one of them who was most likely going to carry their kid was quite butch presenting, like, but, but you're the man. I was like, oh my gosh, oh, that's... Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and then in that Enterprise episode, I think at the end, Archer even's like, basically, you're in the history books now because you're the first one. And it's just so crazy. Uh, And I mean, to be fair to them, Thomas Beattie had not yet been on Oprah, but... (laughs) It's been a while since I've seen that, but I I seem to recall that, like, in a lot of those things, um, like, because, you know, he went and had unprotected sex and came back. No, uh, I just want to establish, he did not know that he was having sex. He was coerced into that shit. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. treating it like a joke is not okay He just thought he was sticking his hand in a bowl. Oh, jeez. And uh, they, uh, yeah, Two Days and Two Nights was another one on the list. Um, oh, yeah. Where very much like, and, and it's not the only one. There's a few of these episodes where um, it really falls into that whole uh, trans people are deceptive and like they're there to trick you into sex with them or mm-hmm. in this case, trick, uh, seduce you into robbing you. And then you're like humiliated and emasculated because you found out that uh, they weren't the women you thought they were. And the funny thing is, like, th- I think the reason why Enterprise deserves even more sort of lashings over this kind of stuff is I keep thinking from some of the stuff we've seen from TNG, you can imagine if that kind of thing had happened on Risa to prompt that kind of line, and it involved Riker in TNG, you can imagine Riker going like, ah, oh, cool, whatever. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still it. with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, um, you know, because we're coming up on an hour, we do want to give Dax some time and some love. Dax. Yeah, Dax, the most amazing character. Yes. Mm -hmm. Dax was uh, the character that prompted this episode, wasn't she? Yeah. 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 um, So who wants to go first? I know you both have a lot to say about this. Um, Alyssa wrote an awesome article for our blog, if you haven't read it yet, called When I Transitioned, I Looked to Dax, and we'll uh, share that in the show notes. And uh, Mara, Dax was the example that you shared. um, So do you want to... Oh, I think I'll let the person who wrote the article speak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, there is... I mean, don't even don't where to begin. It's like unlike the other episodes that are single things. This is something where they so they consistently got a lot of this stuff right. Um, like with limited exception, there's just so much of it that's amazing and is relatable. And the thing is that like at the time I was first watching this, I didn't think of Dax as a trans allegory because I wasn't really thinking about trans stuff. But as I wrote in the article. When I began to transition, suddenly all of these experiences that were new to me, a lot of them I'd seen depicted really in retrospect quite accurately in Deep Space Nine with Dax. And it kind of made it a bit easier because I'm like, I'd seen a character that I loved go through some of this. It, it just made made it a bit easier, like looking at some of this stuff. But the funny thing is a lot of it wasn't, a lot of it wasn't actually, I think, the stuff that they necessarily, it was often throwaway things. Like, uh, being gendered correctly, the bit where, is it, is it Martok, uh, meets Dax? Mm, yes. And it's that whole thing of, cause on my old friend, oh, it's Jadzia now. Jadzia, my old friend. What's right? That was Core. 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 Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. And like, just stuff like that, just the, without a beat and also no needless, you know, torrent of apologies, just switching. Um. And just like, even the first episode, just, you know, old man. Yeah, and that's kind of a very strange one because, like, at the same time, I keep thinking that might be uncomfortable, especially because mm. the context of being trill is a little different to to someone, you know, transitioning, uh, like in in a in a real context. Um, but at the same time, it is something that still kind of happens. Like, one of my oldest friends still uses a masculine term of endearment for me sometimes, and while it would normally make me uncomfortable. With him, it kind of doesn't. It's like the the context there is it. It's it's, yeah. 
it's not exactly mm, yeah, that's old a really man, good point. but that that's one that sort of felt a bit like I can imagine there being situations where it doesn't feel weird. And so that bit kind of worked for me. Yeah, I mean, she certainly never seems to be like annoyed with with Cisco. But that's a good point that, you know, ultimately, it should be like, what do you actually want to be known as now? Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess the last thing that I'll mention briefly, before we can go into more detail about different things is um, that. So I remember when I first watched it, I found it really uncomfortable. But in retrospect, because I did rewatch a couple of episodes, Esri is actually one of the like the Esri coming in is actually one of the most painful and relatable things I've ever seen in Star Trek, because um, Esri comes in, everyone including the audience instantly kind of resents her, um, and it's something. The idea that like people actually do grieve the loss of the person you used to be is actually something quite real. So in the case of Jadzia, she actually died, but it is for for a lot of people whose friends transition. Um, it can like the, the the emotional response is a sense of grief because you have lost one friend even if the other friend is still the same person but also not and that part was done incredibly and it was something like the bits where Esri sees people that she used to know who are suddenly cold to her or uncomfortable like that just made me cry because it's stuff that I've experienced yeah I mean my only I think my only quibble with with the Dax character as a whole is that Esri wasn't male. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah. that was the only thing that really I thought could have done, been done better. I, it's not a negative. It's just, it would have resulted in much more interesting conversations to be had in that yeah. way. Especially cause like Worf is really quite homophobic. So that yeah. would have been a really, I mean, it's all about being a manly man. So that would be, <sighs> Very interesting. Yeah, Worf, the the perfect example of toxic masculinity portrayed in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd also kind of wished that they'd done more with with Esri's in um lack of training and inability to sort of get a handle on the past lives. Where it would have been really interesting to get some sort of non-binary uh, undertones to her character, um, dealing with all of the different aspects of her past. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that they could have done, I suppose, but um, yeah, just most of the time, I think they, like, considering it, they still managed to get the bits that they did do quite quite right or quite relatably, I think. We got a little bit of it when, uh, I forget the name of the episode, where... where Facets, I think, are you thinking no, of? No, no, where no, they... where, oh, she visits, okay. where she visits her family. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that would be kind of strange. So I think, like, I think part of the reason... So, I mean, for some people, obviously, physically transitioning... Uh, is a slow process and physical changes might not uh, like might often rely on medical medical intervention at various points but um, I'm kind of an odd case which and I guess it comes from in, in large degree a, a huge amount of privilege but like so one of my whole like no 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 I must be like act like hyper mask kind of things as a coping mechanism before was that I always wore a beard like so nobody had seen my face for like I think at this point, 15 years or something. So the result is that when I, when I started hormone therapy, first of all, I, I was quite lucky and my body really took to it very, very fast. And secondly, right before I started, I suddenly became clean shaven. So for a lot of my friends, the change seemed even more intense than it might be otherwise. Um, I, you know, my face softened. I looked completely different. Even if it hadn't softened, I probably would have looked totally different. So it meant that a lot of the stuff with like, 
just suddenly looking like a completely different person really must have been what it was like for a lot of my friends because I kind of vanished for six months and, you know, <laughs> came back with like just looking female. And it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of the conversation that I'd seen about um, transitioning was about some of the difficulties in, in that regard. And for me, it was, you know, I guess through a lot of uh, luck, extremely fast which is also really uncomfortable nobody told me how uncomfortable growing breasts would be <laughs> but yeah like, oh wow <laughs> um but yeah so so therefore like Ezri's sudden shift even though yeah it would have been much more interesting if Ezri was uh was male it was it was something that hit really hard because there were people who just literally don't recognize me i i was even last night at a party with someone who I had, I know I had met about 10 years ago. We'd, we'd had some conversations and she had no idea who I was and I didn't even feel like <laughs> explaining. Yeah. That, that sounds like a very specific level of emotional labor there. Yeah. I, um, what do you think of an episode like facets? I'm curious, um, where like you meet all the other hosts kind of embodied in the other main characters. That's interesting because I, I think that's a bit, that's a, a little harder for me to relate to because I don't feel like I'm the same person at all that I used to be, but at the same time, I can't imagine interacting with my past self in any meaningful way, and I still can't really imagine that person being separate from me. I feel like that's just an aspect of my past. So the very mm -hmm. idea of that kind of interaction, it's an interesting thought experiment, so I suppose the idea of that episode is quite quite fascinating, but it certainly wasn't something that I think I can really... Like, it didn't hit me in any relatable way. It's just like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I, on the other hand, can. Um, over the course of my, my journey with, you know, living with dysphoria without knowing or understanding it, I've had some disassociative aspects pop up. And I could definitely, definitely see confronting and talking to yourself in the way you thought and felt and why. Because, like, it's not super hard onto like transness but it's i think if anything else um in that episode the thing that stands out would be um curzon odo fusion i don't know what what pet name we could give it <laughs> like um kodo Kurzodo. kodo kodo yeah. i like kodo um you. yeah because that really that blending of things really struck me because i'm me and i i, I say to my friends now I've, i'm i'm like seven months into my transition so things are like really starting to happen um psychologically and physiologically and like i'm more me than i've ever been and i'm i'm a completely different person but i'm still also me it's it's this weird sort of amalgamation of the per aspects of my personality that I cherished and throwing away the toxic shell that I'd built around myself to, to stay alive. And, and like seeing, you know, Kodo as like this, I am so happy now. We were, you know, when, when they talk about how happy they are, they've never like apart, like without that, they were there. They'd been what they were, but as this, they, they're, they're so happy. And that, that's the one that struck me from that episode. That's interesting. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, I, I, it's 
all of the trans people I've spoken to, the experiences are always so varied and it, it never ceases to be like really interesting to me, especially contrasting when people's experiences where they diverge. So like, I mean, one thing that I am quite conscious of, especially like, um, after years of talking to my psychologist that like disassociating is actually not something that I did, but almost every other trans person I know did that as a coping mechanism, but that wasn't really something I did. So I think like, it's weird because I, I know I'm clearly an incredibly different person, but even to the point where I think if I, if I'd like ran into someone who was like a perfect clone of like me 10 years ago, oh my God, I would hate that person. <laughs> like there's no way we could even, even slightly relate. But I also feel like it's, it's almost like the memories are fuzzy, like they're there and I know I did things and said things, but it feels like that almost wasn't me. And I can't imagine talking to that person. So it's almost like, I don't know, it's, I, I keep thinking of like Blade Runner and going like, it's almost like someone gave me the wrong memories. I don't understand how that could have been me. Yeah, that's actually, that's really interesting. I can see how that would happen. Are there any other sort of particular Dax moments or traits that you found particularly awesome? I think the episode where Dax interacts with a former lover mm-hmm. is is particularly interesting. Um. I mean, it just made me cry because, of course, they, they still love each other and they can't be together. And that's, yeah, it's, I think the thing that resonated a bit with me there was more the sense of, um, I'm still friends with quite a few of my exes from before I transitioned and, and a few of them are straight. And so it's, it, I think it's not so much the whole thing of them not being able to be together as that bit felt a bit interesting because there's, when I talk to some of my exes, that realization of they're talking to someone that they used to date, but is now quite different and they're no longer attracted to them in any way. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's an odd experience. And I imagine it's even weirder for them than for me. How about you, Mara? I can only echo it. Um, that, that, that episode was, hit me really, really hard, especially considering, um, um, with, without getting into all the technicalities, I, I mostly identify as lesbian. So that episode and um, and the host at the end of that episode, um, though they both struck me really, really hard, especially with the uh, the, the gender change of the host. Mm. Like I was, I could my 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 young pubescent um, lesbian without knowing it brain was screaming, "No, go for it!" <laughs> Definitely better than Riker. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like no, she's so pretty now. Go for it. Yeah, and they oh they they they, pat, they love each other so much. But... Go out there, be gay, be free. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's uh actually it's I don't know how this ties into any of these episodes particularly. I'm kind of because it's not something they really explore too much with with Dax because she's clearly pan or bi or or however she sort of identifies, but. Um, so saith Terry Farrell. <laughs> yep. Uh, but for me, so uh, I, I'm pretty much only attracted to women, but that actually wasn't the case before I transitioned. I was in deep denial about it, but in retrospect, though, I, I really crushed on men quite a bit. I was definitely quite bi. But for some reason, and hormone therapy doesn't usually change your sexuality. It's like everyone I've spoken to, it doesn't seem like at most it'll, it might be somebody becoming a little bit more in the, on the by end of the spectrum. But for me, uh, it was actually kind of weird because my sexuality, like all sex drive, even the concept of being attracted to someone just kind of vanished for months. 
And I think probably just due to the very, very high amount of hormones that I was put on right from the start, thanks to my endocrinologist. But then when it came back, everything felt different and my attraction for people felt different. So there are still a couple of friends of mine, uh, male friends who I distinctly remember being really physically attracted to, and I just can't feel it anymore. And it's a bit surreal. And it's something that I really, I don't think they ever really touched on that with Dax or any other sort of trans allegory sort of characters. And I kind of wish they did because it's an, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. And like, I'm actually in the middle of this right now. Look, what we've been talking about right now. Um, I'm dating someone who I knew years ago as female when I was male. And they're not and I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I'm live, I'm actually thinking about it. Like I'm, I'm living that episode with, with Dax and her, her ex. Like, that's, that's happening. Yeah. It's it's just super weird. Yeah, I'm kind of de- I, I was dealing with something kind of similar the other year. I started dating someone, and like around the same time that we started dating, uh, they came out as non-binary, uh, and shortly thereafter began masculinizing hormone therapy. And so that kind of like we 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 spoke about it constantly, and we're still really good friends. But eventually, we we broke up. But it was it was kind of odd because I suddenly felt like I was on the reverse end of of like uh, what it might have been like for. Uh, for my long-term partner at the time that I first came out to a very small degree, because this was a much more casual short-term thing. But it's, it's interesting when you're sort of, you, you're dealing with a lot more fluidity and the idea of people changing stops being so foreign to you, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or alien as it were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe a good question to sort of wrap up with is because we um we still you know we're into discovery now we're getting picard um we still haven't seen a trans or non-binary human character mm. um but um in uh, you know is that something that's important and you know either way what else do you think star trek could do that would be awesome in terms of representing transness going forward I'm really quite torn in that regard, uh, because on the one hand, that sort of representation would be really important, but also the, you know, the Star Trek nerd sci-fi brain me is going like, well, their medical technology is amazing. I would say there's an incredibly good chance that based on statistics, uh, a handful of characters over the years in Trek have probably been trans, but most likely it was something that, especially if, if society was a bit different, they probably weren't repressing it like many of us um, do these days. And therefore it came out earlier and between their technology and just, you know, transitioning earlier, like when, if you transition earlier in life, even with current um, hormone therapy and medical stuff, it changes a lot. Like one or two of my friends transitioned at about 17 or 18 and that's before your bones have set. So they like their experiences, they've never really experienced the whole being forced to live as a gender that they're not. And I suspect that would probably actually be the case in Star Trek as well. So unless there was a specific reason, like they were on a planet where that wasn't the case and they had to transition later, I suspect in reality, you probably wouldn't know that someone was trans. It would be a footnote on their medical file somewhere. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And, and even if we did have that kind of representation, like I'm kind of in a place where like, I don't want a character whose whole, you know, defining aspects being trans. I just want a trans person doing Starfleet things and have it be completely irrelevant to the rest of their character. Just be something we yeah. know. Mm-hmm. You definitely do not want the trans Chicote. Yeah. 
I think, I think like I would probably, if I had to, like if someone gave me the choice to go, okay, we're going to put a, like a transgender non-conforming character in Discovery season three, who is it going to be and what would you do? I think if I had a choice, I would probably say, have a genderqueer or non-binary person and just don't mm-hmm. make a thing of it. Just that's it. Mm-hmm. That I think that would probably be, even though I'm not either of those things, to me, that feels like it's probably something that I would be most interested in seeing. Um, but I think generally speaking, Star Trek is ready to do more. Um, a lot of what we've talked about, even the good stuff, I don't think has been exceptionally planned or intentional or with really a lot of input by trans people. Um, and so it's awesome that some stuff has turned out really great and that there's been things that people can really seize onto as, as, uh, you know, powerful or relatable. Um, but there should also maybe just be some more thoughtful representations. They've got a lot of balls to pick up that they've dropped. So what? Oh, it's just going to say, um, in the very latest Star Trek episode, the trouble with Edward? Was Edward? Gosh, why am I forgetting this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, in the background of one of the shots on the Enterprise, as they're talking, there is a guy wearing a scant, which we haven't yeah! seen since the first season the one of TNG. The scants are back! <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> I, I do actually own a scant uniform. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, um, we should wrap up. I know um, this has been lovely talking with you. And yeah, any final thoughts before uh, of Grace leads the outros? Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to where Star Trek's going now because there's at least enough of it that I feel, even if I'm not a big fan of some aspects of it, like, I don't know, it's it's feel like I'm finally getting a lot of interesting Star Trek again. Yeah, I mean, Mm. we're getting a lot more intentional representation and it's just going to be a matter of time uh, until they start getting it actually right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so before we wrap up, Alyssa, is there anywhere where people can find out more from you on the internet? Uh, yeah, I pretty much just live on Twitter because that's what I do. I'm expect problems on Twitter because I'm an optimist. And Mara, <laughs> where can people find you? You can find uh, my work on our Stow builds. Um, I post under Sizer714. Excellent. And Jera, uh, pe- our listeners probably know where to find you, but where? One more time. I'm at Jera Penguin on Twitter, and I'm at TrekkieFeminist.com. And you can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and out beyond the stars. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit WomenAtWarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at WomenAtWarp. You can also email us at crew at WomenAtWarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks for listening. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.